in uh, today's age, there is kind of this thought in our culture that acceptance equals agreement. That acceptance equals agreement. That if we accept somebody, that means we have to, it means we're saying that we agree with everything about them. That acceptance equals agreement. That if, they, if this person has a flaw, we must either not see the flaw or not think that it is a flaw. And so we, you know, if we accept someone, it means we agree with everything about them. And so, so you know, it, that begins to put us in some difficult situations because there are some people we might agree with on some things and, and not agree with on others, and, or we might agree with uh, what they uh, say, but maybe not how they say it. And so when we say we, we, we accept that we, we agree with it, it means, that, oh, you must accept everything about them. You must be exactly like that. In our day and age, it's, we get acceptance equals agreement kind of situation. And then this, this situation becomes problematic because what if, what, what if someone's, uh, uh, we, like I said, we agree with what people believe, but not how they're saying it. We, we agree with, we, 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 we like the person, but that person's, uh, the way they identify themselves runs counter to what we believe. We, uh, maybe we think they're a great person, they're a nice neighbor, they're, they're, they're a hard worker, but what they believe and, and what they, how they act is, is not something that we can completely agree. Do we accept them? The answer is yes, right? Jesus says, love one another. So we ought to accept people no matter what they believe. But acceptance is not mean agreement. And how we accept them it may have a certain standard. We may accept them on certain things, but on others, we, we, but, but we can't. But, but sometimes we look at them and we go, wait, does, shouldn't God just accept me as I am? Shouldn't God just accept me as I am? I mean, if we uh, have been in a relationship with someone for any length of time, you know, at some point, you're not going to completely 100% agree with someone, right? I'm a, I'm a, maybe there's been things I've said on stage. Maybe there's been something I've said in a class or a meeting, and you're like, Mike, I don't really agree with that. Man, we, we, we are, we are, we, we, we are we're off by maybe varying degrees, maybe sometimes very far, some maybe you know, just a, a little bit. But uh, no matter where, uh, where we've stood on certain things, I've always felt accepted by those in this church. And I, I, I think the same thing. Sometimes we've not always agreed on things, but everyone, I, I consider everyone here at this church family. And if you've been in a relationship with them for any certain time, you know, you know that you're not always going to agree with them, but it's on some level, you always accept them. You, sometimes we're the one who needs to change, right? I mean, I know we always tend to think that we're the ones in the right. And so, you know, here's my position. Here's what I believe. Here's what I, I, I say. And, and, and we think we must be right. The other person needs to change. But we might be, the, maybe the other person's right, and we're the one who needs to change. Or maybe this, we're both wrong by varying degrees, and what's true and what's right is somewhere in between. And so we must accept people kind of where they are. We, we accept them as individuals. We love one another as ourselves. But then we have to let the work of God begin to do his work in us. See, today, the question we want to look at today is, why can't God just accept me as I am? See, if God is a God of love and he's a God of grace, why can't he just accept me as I am? Maybe you've, maybe you've heard this, he created me this way, so it can't be wrong, right? Maybe you've heard that, that hey, this is, this is just how I am. This is how, you know, how God created me. This is how I'm wired. This is, the, 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 this is hardwired into me, so it, so it can't be wrong, right? Why can't God just accept me 
as I am. This is me. This is my truth. I'm going to live out my truth. God just needs to accept me for that. And that is the crux of our problem, isn't it? That's why this question is important, an important one for us to deal with today. And so as we think about it, as we, as we look at this today, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 13 to 16. See, Peter's writing to a church at, in, in crisis, a church that's under attack, a, a people who are being attacked by culture, that culture is actively working against the mission of the church. And sometimes it, that feels like the situation we're in. It feels like the things are being said, things are being done, things are being uh, uh, announced in culture stand firmly against who we are and what we believe. So our world sometimes seems to be actively working against the church to advance beliefs that are contrary to the gospel. So how can our faith grow in difficult situations? If we want to have a grown-up faith, how can we do this in situations where it seems like our entire environment is working against us? And sometimes it leads us to asking, why can't God just accept me as I am? And Peter writes this. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, we learn in these verses the very character of God. And it starts at the end. Peter writes, be holy because I am holy. <clears throat> Which explains to us why God can't just accept us as we are. See, in his holiness, as David described, he's like completely other. He is unique. And in that uniqueness, he is perfect. He has no character flaws. God can't just accept us, but that doesn't mean that we're rejected. It doesn't mean that we're cast out because God's love is there for us. We are, it doesn't mean that we're not loved by him because he loves everything that he created. But our, the way we live, the, the, the sin in our life is not compatible with his holiness. See, Adam and Eve were supposed to live in the garden forever. Death was not part of God's original design. But he knew that when, once sin entered in, death would come. Do not even eat, do, do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, or you will surely die. And they felt like they had dodged death because when they ate of the fruit, they didn't die immediately. But death did enter the why we experience physical death in our life. And there's pain and there's hurt and there's separation. That was never supposed to be there, but that's what sin does. Sin be, drives in death. Sin brings in hurt. Sin brings in pain. So can you imagine? Can you imagine what it had been like to be Adam and Eve and to walk with God? To be with God, to experience his presence as they walked through the garden. Can you imagine what it would be like if God showed up at your house? Hey, you want to go on a walk? I mean, th that would be awesome, wouldn't it? But we can't experience that here and now because our sin has separated us from God. So on one hand, God can't 
accept us just as we are, but yet he loves us and he, he desired relationship with us so much that he began to find a way, he had a plan in place to bridge that gap. See, our world today is all about tolerance, right? Oh, we just need to t- tolerate. We need to tolerate. And so this, this push for tolerance has made it so, almost so much that it's hard for anyone to, to stand up or to speak up for what they believe. Because if you come down too dogmatic, if you come down too strong, all of a sudden it appears that you are not, you, that you're, you're dogmatic, you're being too dogmatic, that you're not tolerant, that you're not accepting of other people's positions. But you want to know who's not tolerant? God. God isn't tolerant. God cannot tolerate our sin. God cannot accept our sin. God told the prophet Isaiah this, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And for us, it's not so much a lack of knowledge. We have the scriptures, but we fail to put that knowledge into practice. Right? We all know what it takes to have a living and growing faith. Something we don't know, it's just that we sometimes we live as if sin has no consequence, right? Sometimes we just live and we we act as if sin has no consequence at all. We're like, hey, I want to do this, and so we do that thing, whatever that thing is, not realizing that that very thing is the, the poison that is killing our souls. And what does God say to us? He says, "Be holy, because I am holy." We say it around here frequently because it reminds us of our need for a Savior, that our sin separates us from God. And because of our sin, we've set ourselves up as enemies of God. Our lives are opposed to God. And so how can a loving God, how can a gracious God, how can a holy God interact with a sinful people? Because God cannot and will not become contaminated by our sin. Right? Jesus up on the cross. And all of a sudden, it feels as if the presence of God is removed from him, right? And once he cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because when God looked at Jesus in that moment, all he saw was our sin. The wrath of God was being poured out on his son. Jesus had never experienced such pain, such separation. He and the Father had always been one. But in that moment, he experienced Separation. How can a holy God interact with a sinful people? Well, long ago, he created a system of sacrifices, right? Whenever people came before God, they had to bring an animal to sac- be sacrificed. Maybe it was a lamb, maybe it was a bird, maybe it was a, 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 a bull. There, 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 there's you know, certain animals, certain sacrifices that were given on certain days at certain times for certain things, but you never came before God without a gift. And they came before God. With his gift, the animal would die. The blood would be poured out. And the sacrifice, the blood that was poured out, would atone for their sin. Atone means to pay for a wrong done. And the animals, the animals had to be perfect. They had to be spotless, right? I mean, you couldn't go through your flock and go, well, this one's blind. He's not going to be getting good anyway. And you bring it. Well, this, th- th- this one looks kind of clumsy. Yeah, this one doesn't have good genes, so let's offer this one instead. Now, when you read through Leviticus, it was always a firstborn, perfect, spotless, without blemish. 
the ideal. That was what you brought to God. And the animal would die in our place. Its death was substitutionary. But these sacrifices were always meant to be temporary. They were not to be forever. They they, they were a a substitution. They were a picture uh, of what was to come. Here, this animal will die in in your place. The, the, The blood would be poured out for you. And it was a picture of the coming sacrifice of Jesus. He would die to atone for our sins. He would pay the price that was needed so we could stand before God. And so when we read about uh, these Old Testament sacrifices, some people are like, man, how could a loving God have us treat innocent animals so cruelly? What did that animal ever do to us? I mean, it's a lamb, right? It's so beautiful. It's cute. Look, it's so fuzzy and furry and woolly. How could God ask us to kill innocent animals because of our sin? That's so cruel. But then we need to think about the cruelty of our sin. How cruel it must be for us to continually break God's rules. More so than that, continually break God's heart with our sin. And so God tells us to prepare our minds. He says, he says therefore, with our minds, we need to be alert and fully sober to set our hope fully on the grace brought. You Maybe your version of mine says we need to prepare our minds for action. And that's what those words alert and fully sober together mean. We need to prepare our minds, prepare ourselves that ultimately that God has created us to be known by him and to know him. He has created us for relationship with him. And that's why it's important for us to develop our minds to have a grown up faith. We need to engage our minds to, to, to know what is right. Then not just to know, but to then put that into action. See, if we only focus solely on our mind, we can just, we can just know so much. But if that knowledge never uh, moves into action, if that knowledge never engages how we live out our life, that is of no good. But we must start with our mind so that we can begin to grow and have a grown-up faith. See, the picture here, as, Paul, as Peter writes, is of, of men preparing to work. Now, for us today, it's like having the right clothes on, right? I mean, I don't go work out in the gym with a suit, and neither do I do funerals and gym clothes. Yeah. Yeah. When we do certain work, what do we do? We, we roll up our sleeves. We pull up our sleeves to, to, to get in and do it. We wear the right kind of clothes for the work that we're going to do. There's probably certain clothes you have in your uh, dresser, in your uh, closet, that you're like, these are the clothes I wear when I work in the yard, right? So he's like, why do you have so many t-shirts? Because, because these are the shirts I wear when I change the oil, when I do the, I, I don't want to get my nice shirts. So, I, so I, I have these shirts because if those shirts get ruined, I don't care, right? And you, you probably have those as well. Well, back in, in the day, men wore, long, they, they wore robes. And, and, and they would have a belt around their waist. And what, what this picture is, is that the men would pull up the hem of their robe and tuck it into their belt so they could do work. They'd be, it'd, be, it'd be easier for them to move around and to work. 
We see this picture in the Old Testament uh, uh, with Elijah, and he he uh, he they have the, the moment with the prophets of Baal up on up on the mountain, and God calls on fire, and and there's a storm coming because they've been without rain for like three and a half years, and so everyone's trying to get home uh, before the rain comes, and so the king is riding ahead, and and what does what does the scripture say? It says Elijah pulls up his robe and he runs and he catches up with the king's chariot. Why? Because with that long robe, women, have you ever tried running in a dress? How's that work out? You know, there's a reason why uh, the, the Olympic track athletes, you never see the women lined up. Can, can you imagine like uh, the women trying to do hurdles in a dress? I mean, it's just not, it's just not going to work, right? It, it, it's going to fall down like a figure skater, right? And it's just going to be you know, hilarious for us to watch, but they're not going to do very well. Why? So they, 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 they wear clothes that are fitting. So for, them, for Elijah to run, he's like, yeah, I can't run with this robe all down. I got to pull it up. And so he kind of almost has like gym shorts on. He runs and, and either the, the horse wasn't going very fast or God empowered Elijah to catch up with the horse. God says we need to prepare our Peter says we need to prepare our minds, we need to pull up our robes, we need to pull up our sleeves, we need to do the hard work necessary. We need to prepare our minds for what is at hand. So we prepare our minds to set our hope on the grace brought to us when Jesus Christ revealed himself. See, we were lost in our sin. We were uh, we were uh, alone, we were uh, we were uh, uh, set against God. And all those previous sacrifices, like I said, were a picture, were a foreshadowing of what was to come. When Jesus would die in our place, he became our substitution. Not a lamb, not a bull, not a bird, but a person. But Jesus died in our place to take away our sins once for all. His sin, our sin brought death. And without death, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But also without death, there can be no resurrection. So Jesus dies in our place. But more than that, he raises from the dead to give us hope beyond this life. No longer are we uh, uh, set with just an earthly mindset, but we have preparation for another time, for another place. This is the true hope comes from Jesus. And it's made available to us when we prepare our minds to set our hopes on him. He goes on and he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The, the, this is kind of a, a, a simple definition of a, of, of a fancy Christian kind of word, a fancy religious word called sanctification. It is this process of being made holy. At one point, we lived in ignorance, right? At one point, we were all ignorant of something that we know now. We just didn't know. We didn't know how to add. We didn't know how to subtract. We didn't know how to spell. We didn't know how to drive. We were ignorant of what it took to do those things. Through the process of maturity, we learned, right? We grew. We uh, grew. And now, sometimes we, we can do those things without even thinking. Like, you know, how many of you really have to think through the process of tying your shoes? I mean, you're just like, you're thinking, you're talking, doing something. You're not even looking, and your hands are just, and your shoes are tied, right? At one point, what was tying your shoes like? Through, make the bunny ear, go around the bunny ear, go through the hole. Right? I, mean, I mean, one day, you had to focus. But we grew up, we matured, we changed. Same is true spiritually as well. As we begin to 
no longer conform to the evil desires that we had, those things that we were like, like yeah, I know that's sin. Maybe, you, maybe there's something that you, that, that, that in your, maybe there's something you did this week and you're like, yeah, I, I know that when I did that, I sinned. I need to stop doing that. I need to quit that. As God begins to change our desires, as we, as we begin to, 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 to change our minds, we prepare our minds to take hold of the hope that Jesus has for us. He sanctifies us. We are not yet holy, but God calls us into that, right? Be holy because I am holy. And culture calls to us and says, don't you want, don't you want to taste? Don't you want to do this? Don't you want to see this? Don't you want to engage in this? And the poison of sin continues to work its work in us. And we wonder why it's killing our souls. Because sin promises us life and adventure, but in return, it only gives us death and destruction. And it was fine when we lived in ignorance. Because we didn't know any better. God says, now that you're mine, now, now that you've, 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 you've chosen me, now that you, we are, you're in a relationship with me, we must put that aside. You know, God can repair our hearts. He can change our wills. The poison of sin that caused our hearts not to work properly, because our hearts no longer call for him, no longer enjoy his fellowship as Adam and Eve once did, as we're conformed more and more to his image. We begin to taste the sweetness of relationship with him again. We are sanctified. We are made holy in his presence. We begin to know what it might have been like to walk with God. See, pursuing his holiness isn't just to perfect us for heaven. So many times we have the end in mind. It's not just to get us ready for there, but it's to provide us with our best life now. See, God knows how our life works best. That's why he gave us his law. He gave us his rules. It wasn't to, to him us in. It wasn't to wreck our life, but it was to, make, to show us how life worked best. Pursuing his holiness isn't just to perfect us for some time in the future, but it's to provide us with our best life now. And we all kind of know this, right? I mean, when, if, if we were to go around and ask, hey, this year, do you want to grow in your faith? Every one of us is going to go, yeah. On one hand, because it's the right answer to say in church, right? So if we go around, hey, do you love Jesus? No one's going to go, nope. No, because in church, that's just the thing you say. You know, yeah, yeah, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I want my faith to grow. But you know, none of us want to go, hey, you want, by, by, by Christmas time, I hope my life is less pleasing to God. Right? No one, no one here is saying that. But while we say that, are we doing the things that are necessary for us to grow? See, we tend to revert back to the same cycle as ancient Israel, right? You, you, you just, just read through the book of Judges. And you see them, they get, kind of go through the cycle. They're like on fire for God. They are living at fully invested, fully growing, fully engaged, and they are honoring God with everything that they have. And, and then they get a little bit tired and they get a little bit worn down. And, and, and then you, you just see them just slowly start to drift away. And sometimes we're like that, right? I mean, we, we're the we're like reading our Bible every day. We're praying, we're, we're, we're doing things, we're, we're serving, we're doing all these great things. And then we kind of look around and go, man, feels like I'm the only one doing these things. 
Why, and we begin to ask me, why am I killing myself spiritually to grow when, I, when no one else is engaging in these same things as well? And so we begin to slip away. We all start off like the description of the person in Psalm 1-3, right? You know, that person who's planted by streams of water, they, they're yielding fruit in seasons. They're, they, you know, their, their leaf doesn't wither. There's a picture of this in, in Ezekiel and Revelation. Like they're, they're, you're, you're, you're this tree that is bearing fruit, not just every season, but every month. Can you imagine what that would be like? To have trees and plants just perpetually bearing fruit. And sometimes we, we start off that way, but then we just kind of drift. We begin to relax. We begin, begin to lose a bit of that spiritual intensity, that, the gratitude, the conviction for the things that we've done before. And it leads us into inviting little sins into our life. There's a man named John Trapp. He was a, a theologian back in the 17th century. And he said this, to disobey God in the smallest of matter is sin enough because there can be no little sin because there is no little God to sin against. To disobey God, even the smallest of matters, is sin enough. Sometimes we go, oh, it's just a little sin. But there can be no little sin, because there is no little God to sin against. See, unless we begin to reverse the process, we start to rewrite the rules. We begin to allow things in that, that previously would have been unthinkable. We begin to create God in our image. And instead of worshiping the one who created us, we begin to make a God after our own likeness. Instead of being created in the likeness of God, we begin to create a God that we can serve and, and get around and, and love. But the key is there, the God that we craft with our own hands is generally not worthy of worship. When this happens, we often look very different than we did at first. And we may not necessarily see this in just in one person's life. Oftentimes we see this throughout uh, multiple generations where the first uh, generation reveres the rules, right? You see that in the, they're in judges, that first generation. I mean, they're following God all out. But then their kids, that second generation, they begin to relax the rules just a little bit. Um, that's not, you know, mom and dad were just too hardcore. That, 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 we're just going to relax just a little bit. And then by that third generation, they have completely rewritten the rules. Like that first generation, they follow God. And the second generation, they know God. They just know God. They, they, they're not following, they just, they just kind of, I, I know who you are, I recognize him. And oftentimes by that third generation, they've forgotten God. They begin to form other gods that they choose to follow. And the key is to continue to walk with those in the first generation. So maybe today, maybe today the step we need to take, maybe today the, the, the action that we need to commit ourselves to is to start returning to God and putting him as our first love. And th- th- this starts off with him as a, it starts off as a personal pursuit. And it starts off with us making a decision, us making a choice to put God first. It, it, it's best then supplemented with, with doing life in community with others, to walk with others, to pursue faith together. And so maybe today you, you, you went to the, uh, the, the Bible study at nine o'clock and you're joining with others and you're looking at scripture and you're, 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 you're adding to your faith, you're adding to your knowledge and you're, hey, let's do this life together. 
You know, if, if, if there wasn't a certain game tonight that we're going to watch, I, I, hey, you know, come, come, to, come to Bible study tonight. We're, we're going to look at how we can do faith together and begin to add to our knowledge so that we can add to our activity, that we can live out our faith better. Maybe today, I know, I just need to start doing and so maybe we, we, maybe today you say, hey, I need to use my gifts and the abilities that God's given me to, to help others see and know Jesus, to help God accomplish his great commission through us. And you, you, you may not be Billy Graham. You may not be the one to, to, to go and just like knock on doors and just invite and, and encourage people to follow Jesus. But maybe something that you can do, maybe something you do begins to, to drop some breadcrumbs, help pave the way help people see Jesus just in your life and your actions. At some point, you have to open your mouth and say some words to invite them, to, to encourage them. But maybe your gift is just to love on people well, just to be present with them in their hurt, just to be present with them in their life. And as they begin to see, why are you this way with me? Why, why, why do you care so much? And you say, because Jesus cares for me. He cared enough for me to save me. I, I, I care enough about you to be here. With you. And I, I just want you to see and know Jesus. Maybe you help him come to, uh, at some point, they, they're going to want to hear your story of how you put your faith in God. But maybe you're just there building a bridge, building a path for them to come back to God. Maybe you need to engage in pursuit. Maybe you need to engage in community. Maybe you need to engage in action. But maybe today you need to make that first decision of doing I today is the day that I want to make Jesus my Savior. So whatever decision you want to make today, you can let us know by filling out the connection card at cchmd.com slash connect. And what I want you to think about is, is think about this, the, filling out the connection card as a commitment device. Because how many times have we made a decision, but then not told anybody about it? Oh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to save more money. I, I'm going to uh, stop eating out as much. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But we don't tell anybody about it. And how good are you at keeping those commitments? Likely if nobody knows. You know, eh, nobody knows. There's something about having a commitment device, about having a little bit of accountability that helps us keep and follow through on our decisions, follow through on our commitments. So I want you to think about maybe today, you, you, or maybe each week as we come to this time, we think about how we want to apply the things that we're thinking about today, the next steps you want to take. Think about you know, that connection card as a commitment device. I'm going to put, I'm going to put this on paper. I'm going, to turn, I'm, going to, I'm going to push those buttons. I'm going to turn that thing in. And that's good. Someone else is going to be, you know, pray for me or, or follow up with me or, or, or encourage me along this way as we pursue being holy as God is holy. Because I'm confident in this. We say we want to be holy as God is holy. That we all have work to do. None of us is there yet. But if we grow together, if we commit to this walk together, we will grow stronger faster than we would, could ever think possible on our own. And the stronger we are together, the greater the impact we'll have on the community around us. Think about the lives that we could impact. Think about the help that we could offer. Think about uh, the, 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 the lives that we could change with the gospel. If we grow stronger 
together impact the community around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are holy, that you are good, that you met us in our greatest time of need. Father, you stood in our place and died our death so that we might have your life. So Father, I pray that you would help us as we leave here today, that we would make commitments to you and to one another to grow in our faith, to be holy as you are holy, to, to, that you would call us up, that you would raise us up, that you would leave uh, the, the sins of ignorance behind, and that we would walk in, in, in likeness of you, that we would grow each day, that we would uh, uh, strive each day to be more and more like you. Father, I thank you for the examples of those we see in Scripture. And even those who have failed at they got back up and they, they started again. As far as sometimes when we fail, we just want to throw it in and say, I can't do it. I can't make it. It's, it's, it's not for me. Father, we see time and time again, those who walk in step with you, even as they fail, you help pick them up. And they grow stronger through their pain, through their hurt, through their failure. So Father, walk with us each day. May we glorify you. The things that we do and the things that we say, may we, Uh, show that you are holy. Would you help us to be holy as you are holy? Uh, We thank you that you you accept us as we are, but that you help us to grow. Father, you will not allow us to remain as we are, that you loved us. You want us to be better. You've made a way for us to grow more like you. May we engage that today. May we engage that this week. May we help others do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're glad that you've joined us today, whether here in the house or online. Uh, We'd love to to see you guys tonight if you want to come out. Uh, If not, we hope you have a great week, and we'll see you again next Sunday.